And we come tonight to one of the most difficult passages of Scripture in, uh, in the Word of God, maybe in 1 Corinthians, but, but perhaps anywhere in the Bible. We're dealing with something where the rubber hits the road. And there, I want to begin by noticing something unusual in what Paul says. You remember that he's writing to a carnal church. It is not to be thought that what occurs in 1 Corinthians is a pattern for Christians to follow unless you follow Paul's counsel concerning these patterns. Because the church was confused. It was confused over leadership. It was confused over taking each other to court. It was confused over tongues. It was confused over healing. It was confused over getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. It was even confused over the resurrection. The most important theme in the entire scripture, some were saying there is no such thing as a resurrection. And so he wrote the, the entire 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians to deal with that. We come to chapter 7, we see their confusion over marriage. And America is just as confused, and many Christians are too. So I want, I want you to notice, first of all, uh, there are several points in this lesson and in this chapter, but first I want you to notice that the idea authority or opinion. Authority or opinion. Now the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles. The Scripture reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished and perfect unto all good works. Now in chapter 7, Paul, in several places, says, I'm giving you an opinion because I don't have a definite word from God. Now, you can do with you with that opinion what you want to. You know, when we apply the Scripture, a lot of times people say, well, that's just the preacher's opinion. And it might be. When you deal with the style of music today, and some say, well, you can hip and chump and rock and, and clap and do all those things you want to, uh, or you can just sing traditional hymns. That's just all uh, an opinion and so on. You can assume that if you want to. But we need to keep in mind the standard that the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And you can decide, well, the old foggy convictions the preacher has are just his opinions. And I guess some people thought that about Paul. And so he's giving you a choice. You can either believe what he's saying and say, well, that's good counsel. Even though he may not have the word of God for it, he may not be able to point to a verse and say this is what it says in the law, but this is Paul's measured conviction based on his understanding of the Word of God. 
Or you can say, well, it's just a scatterbrained, he's just an old fogey and he's just saying these things. So you decide what you're going to do. We have to decide that all the time. I'm going to speak more about that next Sunday. I hope you'll not miss it. Now notice this, beginning in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, authority or opinion. Look at verse 6. But I speak this by permission and not by commandment. Do you know what he's just said? Now concerning the things about which he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband, let the husband render unto the wife her due, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not by commandment, for I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now what Paul is saying is, I do not have a proof text in the Old Testament or from the words of Jesus that tell me to say this, but as I've studied the scripture, and as I've studied and, and have been in touch with God, this is what God is saying to me. It is good for a man not to touch a woman promiscuously, suggestively. We need that today. We have just freedom to do anything. And that freedom goes so far, not just hand-holding and putting arms around waists and hugging somebody up close and dancing with them, but also living with them. You go visit home after home after home today and you'll find men and women living together and some man will say, well, let me introduce you to my girlfriend. Two or three children there. Well, whose children? They're our children. Uh, we're just not married. And Paul says, I want to tell you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman in this situation. And he says, if you really want to serve the Lord, it might be wiser to remain as I am. Paul was speaking. Apparently, he was either unmarried or his wife had left him. There are some traditions that say you couldn't be a member of the Sanhedrin unless you were married and had children. And apparently Paul originally had been a member of the Sanhedrin, which leads some commentaries to suggest that Paul had been married and when he got busy with God, his wife left him. We do not know that. We do know that happens from time to time. A sad thing in life, when a lady marries a man and doesn't understand that he has to study, that he has to give himself to the work of God. We have one of the greatest examples of that in America. And most of you know 
Dr. Charles Stanley, dear godly preacher. His wife got upset because he had to study so much and preach so much and she said he doesn't show me enough attention so she left him and divorced him. And his church voted for him to keep on preaching and keep on going on as their pastor. He's not dating. He's not interested in any other person. And so this is counsel from Paul. He says, now I don't really have a verse and context to give you this is what Jesus said or this is what Moses said. But as I've studied it, this is my judgment. He goes on to say that in other verses. Look in verse 12. But to the rest speak I not of the Lord, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman who hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. not under bondage in such case, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? But as God hath distributed every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches." Now going back to verse 11, if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife. And then he hastens to say, the rest I speak not the Lord. I, I want to be sure you understand, Paul is saying, I don't get this directly as a verse from God. I can't turn you to Deuteronomy 6.10 or to Exodus 20 verse 3 and say this is what the Bible says, but he says, As I've studied it, this is what I, the counsel I would give you. And this chapter is full of that type of counseling. And perhaps the reason is because some of the things dealt with here are not clearly spelled out in other parts of the scripture. And so people have divided opinions about what this really means. Some assume that if a husband and wife are separated because of fornication. That gives the wife or the husband the privilege of remarrying. Others say no, that doesn't give the wife or husband the privilege of remarrying. And so you have to read between the lines and find out as you study the whole picture, what is the Holy Spirit saying? What does God really say? And Paul clears much of it up by saying, it is better to marry than to burn. He's not talking about burning in hell. He's talking about burning with lust. And he says every man has certain gifts. Some have this gift, some another. They don't all have the same gift. Some do have what God gives as a gift of celibacy. Others do not. 
And so Paul says, I don't know that I have this as a word from God, but in my judgment, it is better to marry than to burn with lust. Okay, let's look on at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Now again, he's giving his judgment. I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not to a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives as be as though they had none. They that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world are as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would have you without care. I would have you without care. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And thus this I speak for your profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is seemly, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think that he behaveth himself unseemly toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and need to requite, let him do what he will, let he sinneth not, let them marry. And this is sort of obscure language that he's using. Now, apparently he's talking about a, a person's daughter who is the virgin. And maybe that man has tried to protect her, that her father's tried to protect her and, uh, and sit, have her in such a situation where she will not get in trouble and not marry the wrong man. And so he's saying, now I want to tell you, uh, to marry is not wrong. Nothing wrong with it. And I think he reflects back on what God said at the beginning. It is not good for man to be alone. And so God's basic plan is for every man, every woman to have her own wife and own husband. That's God's plan. But Paul is dealing with a specific situation that has come to his attention from the Corinthian church. They had problems. And he's trying to deal with these problems. And in some of the situations, he says, I don't have a direct verse that I can point to. I don't have some definite scripture that I can give you and say, this is what God says. When that's true, Paul does it. But he says, in these, some of these matters, I've studied it carefully. I've read the word of God. I'm trying to give you the spirit of what I understand the scripture to say. So this is my opinion. I don't give it as a direct commandment from God. Okay, now look at verse 40. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. Notice he said, I think I have the Spirit of God. And he's, he speaks of, of uh, the importance of continuing the work. Now, remember who he's talking to. 
He's talking to the Corinthian Christians who were all mixed up, all confused. Very few had really sold out to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I need to study it more carefully. Maybe some of you have studied it more than I have. I do not remember any Christian worker coming from the Corinthian church. I may be wrong. Maybe there are some. But you see, Paul is trying to deal with the fact that our main business as Christians is to pass the gospel on. At, at, at uh, Lystra, he found Timothy. He found Trophimus. He found other Christian workers. He mentions a number of them. And he sends them out to do the work of God. I do not know whether he had anybody from the church at Corinth. But his burden is heavy there. He says, I want you to do the right thing. So seriously think about this. Now we couldn't finish this chapter tonight. We'll come back to it. There are four more points in the outline that I want to deal with at another time. But this is just an introduction to that difficult chapter. Read it over. Study it carefully. But remember, the main thing in Paul's mind over and over again was that the gospel be given out to people. That people come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That God's word should have free course. That people would be saved and Christians would get on fire for God. We need to always keep in mind that salvation is not something that you catch like you catch a June bug and put it in a bottle. You know, when, uh, when I was little, maybe some of you used to do that. I have not seen any lightning bugs around here. Somebody says the spray keeps them away. Maybe they're out in the country somewhere. But we used to go be mean and get a little string or a thread and wrap it around a little lightning bug's leg and just let him go all over everywhere and then put him in a jar and see the jar all light up. And so that was mean and cruel, I'm sure. But some people think that's what salvation is. They just catch salvation. Well, I got saved 10 years ago. It's the best day ever happened in my life. It doesn't keep me from smoking. doesn't keep me from drinking. doesn't keep me from carousing. I still love rock music. I still love all the things of the world. But you know I'm saved. Are you sure? When Jesus comes in, you already changes you like you did Chris Mansfield. One thing I love about Chris, every time he gets up to, to preach, sing on Sunday night, he tells us how wonderful it is to be a Christian and the difference that Jesus made. I want to ask you, has Jesus made any difference in your life? Are you different because you got saved? Or do you like the same old worldly stuff, the same old worldly dress, the same old worldly crowd, the same old worldly stuff? Do you, do you like that? You hanker after it? Did that not die in your heart when Jesus came in? <clears throat> Last Sunday, I think, we sang, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. If you were asked to tell the changes, what would they be? Number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Or do you get with some friends and gossip and complain and grumble because the preacher has dress standards? And he talks about this, and he talks about that. He doesn't like that, and doesn't like that. <laughs> Is that what's going on in your heart? <clears throat> There's a problem somewhere. There's a problem somewhere. Be sure you have been filled with the Holy Ghost. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. 
He changes our mind, our thinking, <clears throat> our ambitions, our desires, our drives. He changes everything. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We still sin. We still have a hankering after the old things, but our attitude toward it is different. We don't want to brag about it. Boy, I just love that old rock music. <laughs> I love it. You'd be ashamed to say you love it if God has changed you. I just love those old drugs and old liquor. I just love it. No, you wouldn't love it. If you've been saved, you may have a problem with it. But you're not going to love it because God changes your attitude toward it. You see, the Holy Spirit in you teaches you that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live righteously and soberly and godly in this present world, looking for the glorious appearing, the great coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. <clears throat> our Father, we thank you for the Word of God with all of its potency. Thank you for the audacity, the holy audacity of the Apostle Paul in giving what he understood was the Word of God. What he understood was the application of the things he had read and studied from the Word. We thank you that we have that in the written Word. And we pray that tonight every one of us here would be still and seek the fullness of God in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What number we sing? 345, what a friend. 345, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Whatever God has said to you tonight, do it. Maybe you can settle it right where you stand. If you need to come and kneel at the altar or make some request, you do what God says. But friend, if you're not saved, come to Jesus. Don't turn him away. Be sure you know Christ as your personal sin bearer and savior. And let's go on our way rejoicing.